Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So thank you so much for the last few weeks since Christmas. The podcast has gone mental. Uh, Daniel's episode in particular, uh, the Leinster and Dublin GAA nutritionist episode has just gone mental and the amount of DMs and stuff is crazy. Uh, this week is really, really cool. Um, I've managed to get Emma Story Gordon, who aka is ESG Fitness on. She is a PT online coach she is also the co-host of the fitness unfiltered podcast with dan osman and a previous guest dr mike the second she is also speaking at the ifs event in lisbon on the 28th to 30th of august so emma thank you so much for coming on this morning it is an absolute pleasure it's also quite weird because normally like i am the question person on a podcast i've not been a guest on a podcast in ages so it's really nice thank you it's it is interesting when it's coming from the other point of view when it's someone asking you you're like crap i have no idea what i'm doing yeah you're in the hot seat yeah it's uh it's really interesting so uh emma for anyone that doesn't know who you are or how you got into the fitness industry can you explain your story a little bit more okay so i had a pretty standard introduction into the fitness industry i did sports science at uni then i did my pt course over the summer break i think that was the first year and then I just worked in gyms throughout uni. Um, and then briefly after uni, standard again, went to London for a little bit. But after that, I decided I wanted to work more in science. So I came back up to Scotland, which is where I'm based now. And I worked in cardiovascular disease and diabetes for a while. I think the interest there was mainly because I was amazed by what exercise could do in these conditions and how it could prevent them or help treat them and in some cases reverse them. So that was sort of my passion for a while. And I started a PhD actually on cancer and exercise, which subsequently fell through. And I was in a position where I could either start the data collection all again, or I could use it as a sign to just be like, right, I'm going on my own I'm doing like my online coaching that's what I was really enjoying doing I was doing it along the side and I was like right am I going to go in like all in and do this and I think that was the kick for me and something that I've taken a lot from like it was it was a re- at the time like a really 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 crap situation to be in but to turn that around into a positive and then grow the business that I have today I don't regret that that was a sort of like that would it was definitely a failure at the time um and I guess then I just started I think that was maybe like four years ago now and since then I've been totally focused on online coaching really and you've a you've a team with you guys as well don't you with the you've got two other coaches that work with you as well don't you yeah so I have Andy and Shona who work with me as well and they're they're amazing and I'm so lucky to have them so Andy has like 20 years experience in the fitness industry he's just an amazing guy so yeah it's going really well and one of the, like your your instagram is one of those instagrams that i kind of go to um it's a lot of this the, the topics and stuff that you put out is the no bullshit information there's a lot of stuff that you put out that a lot of people do struggle with and kind of questions that kind of come in on a daily basis from a lot of people but you you simplify it in a way that like it's short and sweet and straight to the point which i think a lot of people kind of like a lot of you can easily kind of go into all the technical stuff the adaptive thermogenesis if you wish and all that kind of stuff but your way of putting it into some kind of detail or detail that 
general pop and stuff like that is is really nice and one of the things he talk about a lot is the demonizing of food which i think a lot of us have fallen into uh even when we either of us weren't potentially into fitness and we were younger and stuff like that can you in particular for kind of females uh can you explain the importance of look looking at food as a fuel uh, uh rather than kind of looking at it as a punishment really yeah i think this in itself is a notion that can help a lot of women mainly those who try and eat as little as possible and then exercise a hell of a lot and they're stuck in this cycle of over restriction and then potentially overindulgence in this sort of binge eating cycle which we see a lot in women who try to diet on very restrictive diets and my general approach with fat loss is to try initially to take the emotion as much as you can away from the fat loss process so it's something that there is a lot of emotion attached to and people almost identify themselves as being quote-unquote fat and I like to try and take a step back and that look fat is something you have it's simply an energy source it's not something that you are and we can change that and then giving them a bit of the science and a bit of the understanding behind it is really empowering so that they understand the process they know what's going i guess this isn't talking about so much demonizing uh, food but more a, a general approach of understanding the concepts behind fat loss gives you a hell of a lot of freedom and means that you're not you don't feel like you're stuck on a restrictive diet or that you don't understand why things are working or that carbs are bad or that you have to cut out fat or dairy or gluten or any of these things um and (laughs) Another thing is I, th- I think it's much more than just energy balance. So although that's obviously a concept that you want to get across right at the start, that would be like building the foundation of a house. And then what you're building on top of that is how you're going to eat and that actually the foods that you consume have a much more, have a more profound effect than just calories. So I mean, in relation to your mood, your performance, your satiety levels, Uh, food volume gut health all of these things and a lot of people leave it at its energy balance just eat less than you move and you'll be fine um and it's a little bit a little bit more complicated than that yeah and you've you've spoken about kind of energy balance is not a fad and i know there's a lot of people kind of promoting the, the calorie deficit thing but there's so many more things that kind of come into play there's your sleep there's a particularly for females is a different times of the month about kind of staying off the scales there's stress there's life kind of gets in the way will get in the way at times as well like progress isn't a straight line can you can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on kind of the energy balance isn't a fad yeah so i wrote that because i read an article and it was actually in the new scientist which is normally quite a good source of sort of well-balanced scientific information but the title was something about this quote-unquote like new diet that everyone's doing which is calories in calories out and I was like that's not a diet it's not a fad diet it's that is just the basis of energy balance is the basis of how we store energy and how we expend energy and I, I would term a diet or a diet in in the way that most people think of it as a method of creating that deficit so that's going to be the foundation to every diet that works is this calorie balance equation so that was kind of what i meant by um calorie balance isn't a fad because they seem to be suggesting that it was like this new this new way of dieting that no one had seen before 
but I guess that leads to in the fitness industry and especially with coaches like you and I who are fairly evidence-based um a lot of people do rely quite heavily on just calories in calories out or putting everyone on my fitness pal as if it's the only way that you would ever be able to lose weight like you have to track your calories or you won't know what you're eating and thus you can never lose weight without that and I think we've become a bit too consumed with that and think that that's the only way to diet when actually there's loads of methods to lose weight and things that you don't have to do like for example I eat low carb and I don't track my calories but and and some people would say oh low carbs like nah you're only losing weight because you're eating less than you consume I'm like yeah but that's the way that I've decided to cut my calories is to cut a, um, a portion of the foods that I eat and counting calories isn't for everyone I find it so boring so anal so over restrictive and it's definitely a good tool when you're starting out and it's definitely something I have done in the past and but it's definitely not something that I think people need to do long term I 100% agree with you. I personally have had, I did a fitness photo shoot in 2018 and I counted calories for that. And since then, I just can't bring my head back around it. I just don't enjoy the process. I watch my portions and kind of eyeball food a little bit more. And if I feel myself getting getting a little bit fluffier, as they say, just kind of rein in the food for a little while afterwards it's kind of like adjusting it you don't what are the other tools and stuff like that you could you work with with on clients if they don't want to track their food if they're on a weight loss journey um hunger ratings are quite good but again you then have to be in tune with your hunger so some people aren't in tune with their hunger and they should probably resist hunger ratings um, and that's maybe more when you're moving on to sort of maintaining fat loss progress and i will be honest mo- most of my clients track calories but it's not for everyone. And sometimes I will have people intermittent fast, but maybe they'll intermittent fast and track their calories. It's just a better way for them to manage their calories. I think that works really well. And it works really well, I find, for women. I work with a lot of women who, let's say they're on 1,500 calories. And that's a fairly low amount of calories, especially if you're, say, going out for dinner one day or something. If they just skip breakfast and start their meal at lunchtime, that means they can have bigger meals and yeah they're less frequent but they might have like two or three or two meals and a snack or something a day instead of three meals and a couple of snacks and managing their calories that way becomes a lot easier and especially true when you're on quite low calories as a lot of women have to go lower especially if they don't have a very active job um and I find that's that's a good tool to use as well yeah, and I, I, I 100% agree. Um, and one of the other tools that I work with, like as you said, most of my clients are females as well. And what I use with them is taking pictures of their food and seeing what the portion size is. Sometimes it can be a little bit awkward when they've half eaten the meal and then they send the picture over to you and you're like, okay, I know you've eaten a little bit more, but it's important to kind of understand portion sizes and kind of including vegetables in your in your meals, including protein or adequate protein into your meals. And like carbs aren't the enemy. Carbs have had this demonization for so long in the press and the media and stuff like that. And it's important to like potentially just reduce the, the carbs a little bit, but making sure that you're still able to perform in life and in the gym. Um, yeah, and- it's and I mean, some people do amazingly on low carb diets and there are 
benefits to low carb diets and most people generally in the research supports this are more satiated on a low carb diet but that's not to say that that's the right way for everyone and if if you think oh god I could never not have my cereal in the morning or I could never not have that piece of toast like that's what I really look forward to and enjoy then there's absolutely no need to cut it out it's just another method that could work for you and might not work for you 100% and that's a that's it like it is there's no one way there's no one cap that fits everyone everyone is so different and everyone as you said you prefer to have a low carb I prefer to have carbs I do enjoy carbs so I prefer to have them in uh, my kind of life and stuff like that and kind of that kind of leads into one of the next questions regarding kind of the good and bad foods that a lot of people kind of demonizing the language they use and there's a language that is used an awful lot on social media and it's a language that kind of comes in when you are potentially talking to someone that's kind of having kind of a consultation with you on a phone call it's like oh i've had x y and z i've pressed the fuck up button i've messed up i've derailed my progress and you're like okay i don't think you have but how do you work away with your clients about moving away from the language of the kind of good and bad foods it is a hard one because sometimes if you try and become like if I want to talk about say junk food on a story or something I'm trying to explain something to the general population but I can't use I can't label foods anymore and it almost becomes ridiculous you're like this food is less suitable towards your goals and they're like what do you mean like junk like what like it's the same with when someone's like oh I want to I really want to tone up and you're like, well, you can't turn because um, you c- it's, you're actually wanting to lose muscle and build fat. And it's like, yeah, you, but you know what they mean. And sometimes it's about meeting people where they are. So even if some, I'm not going to, if someone comes to me and like, oh, you know, I, I eat too much junk food. I need to change my diet. I'm not going to pick them up on that. But they'll notice when working with me by the language that I use and hopefully they'll pick up on that. But I do think there is, it's almost like you can be too PC and then you're not actually resonating with the people you're trying to talk to anymore and they, they're like well I don't really understand what you're saying anymore like so yeah. that's probably not exactly what you meant but I think that is an aspect within fitness industry that people are struggling with a little bit and I guess that that goes as well to a larger extent with this sort of anti-diet culture and almost you feel like you can't promote or, or saying weight loss is like a bad term and then you become completely detached from your clients. And you've, you mentioned something there about the, the toning word. Um, I know when I first started out, I was like, I don't really agree with the toning term. But now, as you said, it's better for you to build a relationship with your client by using the words they understand and then trying to bring in terms or try to bring in language that they can bring into their everyday life. So I'm delighted you brought up the the toning word, which is the buzzword at the minute. Um, One of the the big analogies that I love that you've mentioned, and I've read the book that it's kind of coming from, uh, the puck yes or no (laughs) diet analogy. It's, can you kind of, the book, first of all, that you've mentioned, um, and then, like, can you explain a little bit more? Okay, so it actually comes from an article, I don't know if you've read it, which is called, Am I Allowed to Swear? 
work away yeah see i'm not a big swearer but anyway the book i can't really talk about it until without swearing so the article it's from it's by mark manson it's called fuck yes or no and it's actually about dating and he's written a book that most people probably will have heard of called the subtle art of not giving a fuck seems to like the word fuck quite a lot uh which is where this idea came from but i've obviously changed fuck to puck because i just i'm too polite to swear all the time and it's i guess it's about i well i tend to advise my clients to choose their indulgences so you can absolutely have the best of both worlds and that's by that i mean you can reach your body composition goals while eating out having a social life going for drinks and not sacrificing that so i always say to to clients it's not about sacrifice it's about compromise which means that you have to choose the things that really matter to you and the events that you really want to go to and the times that you really want to drink at an event or over maybe eat more calories or whatever it is so i guess some examples of that would be if you are let's say you're going out for a meal and you've been waiting for this amazing cheesecake dessert for like the whole week and you can't stop thinking about it that is a puck yes situation like go for it enjoy it and don't feel any guilt about it because you've chosen that it's going to be great if you're sat flicking through like a dessert menu and you nothing's really jumping out at you that's a no so you shouldn't you shouldn't go for that or if it's like the third drink of a night and it's not really going anywhere and you don't really want another one again that's a no so i guess it's about choosing your indulgences and enjoying them and making the most out of them as opposed to just saying yes to everything and not really like sometimes you just don't really enjoy it yeah and that kind of brings on to the point of having an inclusive diet rather than a restrictive diet and a lot of people there are so many people out there that kind of flap around the like it is it is a thing which is kind of binge eating disorders and that is a thing and if you are struggling from that you should definitely reach out to a, a, a professional to kind of talk about that but I think a lot of people potentially do kind of use the terminology a little bit flippantly and I know from talking to people and from talking to people in real life rather than over social media that a lot of them wouldn't include say chocolate and from dealing with females in particular, this is not a sexist comment, chocolate is a thing that females enjoy a lot. But I find that from working with females is that when they don't include their chocolate in either a daily routine or by uh, every two or three days in their routine, then they're more likely to go off track and they're more likely to go off plan. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit more about kind of inclusive dieting rather than kind of restrictive dieting? Yeah, I think, first of all, you bring up such a good point about, the ter- again, it's terminology, like, I'll have, if this happened to me last week, actually, um, a ref- sorry, it wasn't a refer, was- anyway, someone who wanted to work with me, and they said that they, they suffered, you know, they binged quite a lot, and so obviously that was red flags, but when you delve a little deeper, what they mean by binge is like, oh yeah, on a Friday night, I'll have a takeaway with my partner that's not binge eating so it's absolutely fine and doable but I think again that word gets thrown around and and as personal trainers we need to dig a little deeper and establish if they need help from elsewhere or if it's something that some little diet changes that we make can help so that that would be the first thing and then about so this is something I've been thinking more and more about and I do think that 
your approach and moderation is I've always thought that should be the end goal and I know that a lot of people find it easier than others so for example someone who's quite on off mentality or like type a personality would would be like I would rather have no cookies than one so it's like I have none or I have ten and someone who's quite like moderate might be like oh yeah I can easily have one cookie and then stop and they'll find it quite easy to take an approach where they're like yeah I'll have chocolate every night like a couple of squares of chocolate every night and that that is great for me whereas someone else might be like oh no I'd rather just have none ever like I'll just not have it which obviously isn't great because it's almost like it has that control over you that you feel like if you have a bit you couldn't stop but I do find that with some people and it seems to be as you get to know them like just their personality around everything that they'll find it much harder to create that moderation where they can have one cookie and fit it into their calories for the day and not sort of overdo it on that and yeah so I do find that quite interesting I think now and having worked with so many people like I think a lot more about personality types and not just this is the ideal situation that everyone would be able to be moderate and actually how you get someone there yeah it is there's a lot more psychological factors than i think a lot of people realize when it kind of comes comes to kind of creating the habits and creating the mindset stuff and i was listening to an interview uh on monday or tuesday with martin mcdonald from mnu and he was talking about like he loves his jellies and his jelly bears and all that kind of stuff and someone delivered seven kg bag of jellies to the office and like he was like okay so i can either eat these all now and feel like and have like a mild diabetic (laughs) or i can kind of tick away at these kind of including it every day and stuff like that but what he found after a couple of days was he didn't really want the the bears there at all he didn't want the jellies at all uh that doesn't stop that him having the the, the bears at all it just doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that he didn't put them in a daily basis what he thought the psychology was so if if you're including it in kind of your routine every so often and stuff like that or every day it becomes second nature and you almost don't see the chocolate as a so-called treat i'm i don't know why i put inverted commas with my hands for those who can't see inverted commas were just used (laughs) um so people like rather than kind of putting the food up on a pedestal which i think a lot of people do and you've elaborated there on kind of like the weekends and stuff like that. If you are, if you're going out in the weekends and it's not a puck yes with regarding the chocolate or the dessert or the bottle of wine or whatever it is, well then potentially it's not, not a kind of an idea for you to stay on plan. Um, yeah. But I think yeah. as well, it's it's often much harder for women to use this sort of like if it fits your macros or I guess just if it fits your calories. Um, mentality or approach because you'll see a lot of guys on social media and they're like oh look you know if it fits your macros works for me i have pop tarts every day which was always the standard thing or look at me going out for meals and things like that and then you're like okay if you are a female on 1500 calories going out for a meal kind of wrecks your day wouldn't wreck it but you really have to be careful with the rest of your day whereas if you're a man dieting on like 2500 calories it's so much easier to do and I think people 
almost set like a standard of I've just I've seen quite a lot of men being like oh yeah well I just fit this into my calories every day it's easy I'm like yeah because that's like 10% of your calories <laughs> that's like 40 that's almost half percent of like a woman's calories maybe so I guess knowing how much you have to play with and then also realizing that it's not just like you've got 1500 calories to play with if you want to strive and have a great body composition you also want to get in protein you want to get in fiber you want to look at your gut health so enough again fiber different fruits and vegetables variety in there so there's loads of factors to consider yeah like there, there's no like we keep saying this but there is no one thing that fits everyone unfortunately if it was we'd be billionaires um mm. so um one of the things we talk, spoke about there was kind of meals and stuff like that on Fridays. Um, and th- one of the things you've kind of spoken about is why we make worse decisions with food late at night. Particularly, it could be kind of either sitting at home idle. It could be kind of Friday night going for a kebab after a night out, or it could be the next day or whatever like that. Have you kind of, uh, can you kind of elaborate on why we make those decisions? So with almost all of my clients, and anyone listening to this, you can sort of self-assess yourself and see if you fit into this as well. But if you are going to go off track on your diet, it almost always happens in the evening. And one of the reasons for this is, or one of the reasons it might be anyway, is decision fatigue. So you've spent all day making decisions and then you're one, you're tired, you're possibly over hungry as well. You get home late at night or in the evening and you make poor decisions about food because you've been making those decisions all day. And one way I try and um, get around that is to have people plan their meals. So this is especially true with like shift workers. I work with a lot of nurses for some reason. And if they come home from like a really long shift, that's not only physically draining, but probably emotionally draining as well. And then they, they don't have a plan and they're just w- walking around Tesco or they're just raiding all their cupboards that never ends well whereas if they've even if you don't have to meal prep everything you could just say right I know I'm going home to have I don't know salmon rice and some vegetables or something whatever it is it's as long as you know what it is and the food is there that's sort of the key to it so you've already made that decision so you don't have to make it again and that avoids that decision fatigue and the other thing I try to work with my clients is a thing called the HALT system. So to see if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Oh, so I like it. So if you're actually hungry, would you eat a raw stick of broccoli? Because I don't think we realize... I wouldn't in- eat that. What about a carrot? Okay, maybe broccoli is a bit drastic. But- raw broccoli, sorry, but... Yeah, but you get the, the general idea. Uh, but if you are hungry, but I don't think we realize what hunger is in the developed world compared to what's going on in the likes of Africa and stuff like that. But then are you actually angry as something happened? Have you had a fight with your partner or, or have you had a screaming match with one of your teenagers or kids or whatever it may be or a shitty day at work? Are you lonely? Are you kind of living on your own? Are the girls or the lads out that you live with or are you tired? And most of the time, often enough, it's kind of like that you're a little bit idle and you're kind of just sitting there watching TV and you're looking for something to eat or you're watching Love Island and you're just looking for something to eat or you're a little bit tired from the day and you're potentially just reaching for that food. So if 
potentially wait probably 15 20 minutes and then see if it actually is hunger because if it's hunger it will persist if it's just kind of one of those momentary thoughts or then that will kind of lapse away and you could easily have maybe get a small glass of water and drink that and that see if that kind of gets rid of that potential hunger cue yeah i think emotion comes into it a lot as well and and it's that late at night or when you get home from work when actually everything catches up with you like when you're busy during the day you can put anything that's bothering you to the back of your head but it's when you sit down at night that all these things sort of come to place I think emotional eating is a, is a huge thing and you mentioned hunger as well and I try and get people to reframe hunger a bit that actually you know if you're hungry on a diet it's not always a bad thing and you should probably expect to be a little bit hungry on a diet and obviously if you're starving that's you know, and you're so hungry, you can't think about anything else. But realistically, you'll be a little bit hungry on a diet. And I think we've become so, like, accustomed to just giving in to hunger. And this is another reason I like people to at least try intermittent fasting and realize that, oh, right, if I miss a couple of meals or I don't eat for this amount of time, I don't, like, nothing bad happens. Or what I find really interesting is your hunger actually works in waves, so it will ghrelin levels which um increase hunger that's a hormone that that they will rise when you normally eat food so they'll have like a natural rise at breakfast a natural rise at lunch or that natural rise at dinner now that means that and, and everyone will have experienced this like let's say you're called into a meeting just before lunch and you're really hungry but you don't get out of the meeting for like two or three hours and you're almost like quote unquote past hunger and and that's because that normal time that you're eating has passed and actually you're not hungry anymore. And it's, it's realizing that actually even without eating, sometimes hunger will pass and intermittent fasting is quite good for that. And not only that realization, but also realizing you don't have to act on it and that you can't, you feel fine. Like we all have, if you're losing body fat, that means you've got body fat to lose. Obviously you're not going to starve. And there's so many examples. Like I think the most famous example is the man who fasted for a whole year. Not that I am recommending this, but you know he was he was fine. And that's because body fat is a store of energy, and that's what it's used for. So I think reframing hunger a little bit. Obviously, being really hungry all the time, not recommending that, or not ever eating. Like don't overdo the fasting, but. A little bit of hunger when you're dieting and trying to lose body fat is not a bad thing. No, and I, I think that I, that I 100% agree with that. A little bit of hunger isn't too bad, and we just need to recognize the cues. If you are tired and like tired all the time, potentially you need to look at your sleep. Are you one of those that is looking at your phone, scrolling through Instagram, double tapping loads of pictures, or just kind of trying to? get rid of the day or whatever like that and just kind of zoning out for that 30 minutes and kind of that and then before you realize it 45 minutes an hour are gone and then it's like half 11 i need to be up at six o'clock or seven o'clock for to get the train into work or whatever it be so it's about like i started using the the blue light gla- blocking glasses um and i find i find that because because doing online coaching you're on your phone you're on your laptop an awful lot more you're kind of your hours are a little bit skewways um especially when you're doing your check-ins people are coming back from work and they are kind of only getting responses in at like seven or eight o'clock so i've tried to use the glasses kind of like 
from about, say if I'm going to bed at 10, I try to put them on at about eight or half eight. And have you uh, noticed a difference? Big time. I've, I'm like, beforehand, I'd be kind of like, my mind would be racing or my eyes would be kind of like, they'd be wired. But I fa- found a big difference. Um, and they only cost like 30 quid. So there are ones that are more expensive. Um, and for anyone that hasn't looked at them, Alan Flanagan mentions a brand on one of the episodes that he was on just after Christmas. Um, and they, 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 they are an absolute game changer. They can make you look a little bit creepy. I'm not going to lie. Um, but they they do work. Um, whereas if, if you don't, there's also something on some of the phones as well as a blue light blocking screen or blue light blocking light on the phones as well. Um, and that, that can help. Or else the simple one would be just to not look at your phone before you go to bed or get an old school alarm clock and put it beside your bed. Yeah. Or a lot of people like have life beside them yeah it is hard to switch off and i think another thing is that whenever someone's tired they almost and they've just started a diet they attribute it to the diet every time. oh it's the i'm not it's because i don't have enough calories i'm just tired all the time i'm like no you've got plenty of energy there stored in your fat like you'll you will be fine especially if you're on a decent amount of calories like the amount that you should be to lose weight uh, and but it is always the the first thing people go to, especially if it, they've just started a diet that is making them so tired. And then I'm like, well, how much are you sleeping? Oh no, I don't really sleep. I've got a two year old. They wake me up five times a night. I'm like, might be that. Like, could be that you only get four hours sleep a night. Probably more likely than the diet. But yeah, I think people don't like sleep is a big thing. And like, I'm big advocate of the book Why We Sleep. Um, I'm Matthew Walker. And if you don't like uh, to, to read or you don't have time to read, he has interviews, countless interviews and podcasts and stuff like that. So he's awesome to kind of listen Do you to. Know if what? You don't... Sorry to jump in. And uh, this is a pretty crap statement because I can't remember where I read it, but I read like a debunking of that book. And a I've lot heard... of it didn't seem to stack up with the evidence because it, it went mad. Like everyone was so for it. And yeah. I think a lot of it was by like our own cognitive bias. Like, oh my God, yeah, like this, this and this, like that all, I kind of recognize these things and it's nice to think that sleep, which is something we control and something that most people kind of enjoy doing, could have these huge benefits to us. And I don't, like, I'm not saying it's all wrong, but I just think it was maybe more cherry-picked than than a completely non-biased view. I think there was a lot of information in the book, but whether that information is very practical to everyday life is a different thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I think one of the things he was talking about, like for some reason, I don't know why it's stuck in my head, is the caffeine, about not having coffee after 10 a.m. And most people, yeah, like yeah, you had the shock in your face from being a PT or like, that's yeah. like my 14th coffee. Um, but yeah, like that's not very practical. Like you, you see people having coffee in the afternoons and stuff like that, but some of it wasn't very practical. There was another book I spoke about with Alan on, like Sleep by Nick Littlehalls, which was, there wasn't much evidence behind the book. There was a few ideas and stuff like that, but it wasn't very evidence-based. But I know where you're coming from with the, the Matthew Walker book. Um, and it was, it's quite sciencey, but it without being... 100% evidence-based so I do yeah, I the, do. the coffee thing is interesting because I read a study recently that showed that those who drank coffee later at night slept better 
and the I know I know that like you're pulling a face like what the hell does make any sense and the reason it makes sense is that people who aren't that sensitive to caffeine will drink coffee later at night because they're not worried about it affecting their sleep so it's kind of like causation association issues to that so it's not saying that you should drink coffee later at night it's saying that anyone who would do that obviously doesn't struggle with their sleep anyway so they're yeah. fine to drink it late at night and it kind of just shows that it is quite individual one person might have a you know i have a mate who drinks like espressos like after dinner and is t- and then goes to bed at 10 i'm like that i couldn't do that myself but it just i think it completely depends on your tolerance to caffeine or how you react to it yeah my dad would be one of those and one of my like a few mates that would do that as well and i think he spoke about that but he would say those people that would be going to sleep wouldn't necessarily be in the deep sleep for too long mm. so they'd have a kind of a way around it because i know in mediterranean climates like italy and stuff like that they would that's their culture that they would have the caffeine um after 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 their meals and stuff like that and they eat at like eight nine at night as well don't they yeah which isn't great for digestion if you're going to bed at like 10 or 11 uh which is a different thing altogether that's a different episode altogether yeah (laughs) (laughs) um one of the other things kind of like that we you talk you spoke about kind of the weight loss and sometimes when you are weight loss or kind of kind of putting on muscle whatever it may be we can look for instant gratification and social media is very good at bringing instant gratification with all the likes and the endorphin hit and endorphin spikes and stuff like that when you get a like on a post or whatever but can you kind of elaborate on how sometimes kind of fitness and kind of losing weight in general can be a little bit boring it's not as sexy as people make it out to be yeah i think the grat the gratification thing is really important and if you really think about it anything that's worth having requires some form of delayed gratification you very rarely get anything long-term worthwhile from one initial action and i think it's about focusing on the small wins so identifying habits that you know are going to get you closer to that end goal and then and I call these in my my programs with my clients like they're quote-unquote non-negotiable. So the things that they have to do every day to tick off that they know that at the end of that day they're closer to their goal. And that, focusing on that over things like the scale weight which won't go down day to day or fluctuates anyway enables you to sort of keep focused and know that you are progressing without that immediate gratification. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think so many people, if you were to put, um, say, I don't know, a big athlete like Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, um, or Dame Jessica Ennis Hill, I think that's her surname now, uh, you only see what they are kind of achieved when they're on the podium or they're scoring hat-tricks for fun. You're not seeing what they're doing in the background. You're not seeing the like the three four sessions a day. You're not seeing the, the 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 meticulous training, the cryo chambers, the freezing, the everything behind it. So it's important to realize that you're only seeing kind of like highlights on social media as well, which I think a lot of people don't realize. They're kind of like you don't really like very rarely you would see someone that puts up a crap day on social media. Yeah, and 
I think it's funny because people are like, oh, so-and-so is like an overnight success. Or someone might look at you when, you know, when your online business is doing really well and like, oh, that, look how easy that is. That was just, they just started doing that. And you think, no, no, like I've done literally probably months worth of, of podcasts if you listen to them back to back. Like the effort that you put in, everything you've written in the past, all the courses you've done, the education, the working with thousands of clients, like, no, 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 they'll just see, oh yeah, that looks good. I'll, it must be like, you know, as if it's an easy thing to, to do. So yeah, that happens a lot in probably in every field that, oh look, such a, this athlete's just come through and like broken, broken through into the next level of, I don't know, whatever they've, they've won a medal or something like, oh, what an overnight success for them. Like that's actually been years and years and years of training. So it is funny we only you're right though we only do see the sort of the highlight and I think especially with people like Jessica Ennis or Olympic athletes where actually people only really pay the the general population only really pay attention to sports like athletics at the Olympic Games so once every four years which you think is just like (laughs) yeah yeah it's interesting it's uh, it's mad because like my brother is a rower over in London, and I see like he his year it kind of builds up to Henley Regatta, so you see the yeah amount... I used to row at uni yeah so he's so, he's yeah he, he came second last year so wow. I, I, his poor face when he came second um so he was in the eight man but you can see like I when he was living in Dublin here he was up at say 5am cycling into Dublin city centre which is probably about a 20 minute drive so it's a longer cycle training twice or three times on this on the weekends then cycling back and then trying to get a nap trying to get all the food in but you're not seeing that when you're only seeing like the the Henley games or the Henley regatta or whatever it be so it is uh it's mad yeah I don't know any I don't think I know anyone that trains harder than rowers it's it's mental and like from talking to him as well like he he has this um like after every race he's renowned for puking as well oh lovely what in the boat no he'll put it into water Uh, but it's 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 mental uh and like they're physical specimens but a lot of it is the mindset stuff as well too oh, like it's so much yeah do you miss it at all yeah i loved it. it but it was actually my back that made me stop but i do remember like when you talk about the mindset and how much people push their bodies like do you remember this one girl was doing gb trials i think she had to beat her time on the erg by like five or six seconds which at like a high level is quite a lot and she did it, but she'd like somehow like ripped her in like in internal something like stomach muscles or something. And then and then it was such a shame because she couldn't don't think she could do the next round of trials because she'd pushed herself so hard. But it's amazing that you can push yourself, your body to the extent that <laughs> of like <laughs> that is just insane. It's mental. I remember watching, I think it was a documentary on Sir Steve Redgrave when uh-huh. he was kind of coming towards the end of his career. And they were doing the erg tests, and like you just see him completely collapse. Like he, he, he just eyes gone. Can't even get out. off the erg, can you? It's just like and oh. the lads have to carry him out. But I think the other one is James Cracknell and Matthew Pinson. And there was what the Cracknell was the one that was going through the Arctic, the expedition with the Arctic. All right, yeah. 
um, and he was getting frostbit and he was going to lose his the tips. I'm like, this could be completely wrong. He was about to get something was happening with his nose or his hands or something like that. And he was just like, no, I'm so determined. I'm literally like, it's just the, it's yeah. the zone, what it is, but it's a dark place by the looks of it. Yeah, uh, once you're in, you're all in, aren't you? So the episode finished up recording just before Emma and I finished up. So apologies for that, guys. So you can find Emma's details at ESG Fitness on Instagram. She's awesome. I definitely kind of look at her information. She's awesome. Her website is www.esgfitness.co.uk if you want to work with Emma online. And she will be talking at the IFS event over in Lisbon in August. So definitely give Emma a follow. Uh, please do kind of give us a shout out up on social media once the episode is out and i hope you guys enjoy it it was really really interesting to hear from from emma very very interesting episode uh, and emma knows her stuff and head over to her two podcasts the esg fitness podcast um, and she also has the fitness unfiltered podcast with dan osman and dr mike the second so busy lady um, awesome episode really really uh, delighted to have had her on um so guys thank you so much for listening really really appreciate it don't forget to share it guys